Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I'd like you to turn your Bibles tonight as we continue on our study relative to the redemptive names of God. I'd like you to turn again to the book of Exodus. And let's turn to Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, and just for the present we're going to read verses 1 through to 5, Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 through to 5. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by name Jehovah, or Yahweh, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Let's just uh, take a little overview. In in last uh, week we were particularly looking at the revelation of the name, I am that I am. And in concluding our study last week, we uh, notice the significance of the name that I am expresses eternity of being without beginning and without end. I am expresses self-existence, he who exists in and of himself. Uh, I am expresses unsearchableness of being. I am expresses omnipotence. I am expresses omnipresence. And I am expresses omniscience. So everything that's comprehended in the name I am that I am. And we saw how the New Testament fulfillment is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we gave you a list of about 32 I am's, particularly seven of them that are the equivalent to the Old Testament on uh, the name of the burning bush and then the Lord Jesus being the I am to meet every need. Uh, And so tonight we want to develop uh, the next phase of our study on redemptive names. Now, on the back of of your sheet here, page six, I want to just... uh, give you an overview as we lead into this. Now, what we want to get across tonight is, what is the significance of Exodus chapter 6, which we've just read where the the Lord said in verse 3, I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah or Yahweh was I not known to them. Now, what's the significance of this? and uh, what's going to happen here in the, in the succeeding chapters. So let's just uh, have sort of an overview of what we've been trying to cover in the last number of weeks, just in the uh, first number of chapters here now. As we look at the book of Exodus, where we have the revelation of the name of God, you'll notice that Exodus chapter 1 and 2, the whole scene that we have in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, is that God's people, the nation of Israel, are in bondage. Okay, they're in bondage and in slavery, and uh, 
the slaughter of the innocents. So this is the whole scene that we have in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. All right, then when we come to Exodus chapter 3, and uh, actually 3, 4, and 5 particularly, we have God coming to Moses in the burning bush, which we've been looking at in our last uh, several weeks together, and we have God calling to him. Then we have the revelation of the name, and this name, I am that I am. I am that I am here. And then how this name, I am that I am, is now changed to the Lord, the Lord God, and as we said over 6,000 times, the Old Testament revelation is always the Lord God, while the New Testament revelation is the Lord Jesus. Uh, the, um, the Hebrews call it, as we've said before, the four-letter, the uh, holy tetragrammaton, which was Y-H-V-H, uh, the uh, Hebrew not having vowels between, or as is commonly said, Jehovah or Yahweh, we say English in the, uh, as the Lord. Now, when we come to Exodus chapter 6 here, which we're looking at more especially tonight, we come to the revelation of the name of God in a fuller sense. So we'll put down YHVH here, or the Lord. And in this chapter, we're going to see that the Lord gives uh, Moses seven I wills that are the expression of this name in operation. So there's been a revelation of the name. Now there has to be a demonstration of the name. Okay, I want you to pick that up. So back here, there's the revelation of the name. Back uh, in here now, there's going to be a demonstration of the name, particularly when God says these seven I wills, and then from Exodus chapter 7, right through to 12 now, right through to the uh, Passover lamb, and the deliverance that came through the blood of the Passover lamb, here we have the plagues that are executed as uh, Neil's excellent article deals with this, and we referred to it one night, uh, the plagues of judgment on the gods of Egypt. Little g. Plagues of, of judgment on the gods of Egypt. So this sort of gives us an overview, Exodus chapters 1 through to 12. Exodus 1 and 2, bondage or slavery of the nation. Uh, Exodus 3, the burning bush, the call of Moses, revelation of the name, I am Lord God, Yahweh. Uh, 4, 5, where he goes down and they make the appeal. In fact, you can uh, put that here. Uh, where Moses and Aaron go down to Pharaoh and make the appeal, and there's absolute no response. And Moses comes back to the Lord, disappointed, and says, Everything, ever since I've spoken in your name, you haven't delivered the people. Now God says, Okay, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. So there's something very pivotal, uh, pivotal, uh, pivotal about Exodus chapter 6 here, and because Exodus chapter 7 on through to 12 now, we have the plagues of judgment against all the gods of Egypt right up to the death of the firstborn and the deliverance of the nation by the Passover lamb. Now, as I've put on your outline there, just pardon me, my voice is not feeling too brilliant tonight. As I put on, you, uh, on your notes there, there's a sevenfold picture that we have here that I want you to look at with me just briefly and then we'll get back to the, the first page. In the overall picture that we have, and you can put your fill in here, we have Pharaoh, who is typical in this picture here of Satan. Okay? 
who is the god of this world. So you fill in there is Pharaoh, type of Satan, who is the god of this world, the god of this world system. Then the next thing we see in these chapters here, we have the Egyptian rulers who are symbolic of the, prince, uh, the, the, the principalities that are under Satan's authority. Okay, so we have principalities. This is your fill-in here. Okay, so Pharaoh, a type of Satan, the god of this world system, and then under him there were the Egyptian rulers, typical of principalities. Then under the rulers, there were number three, there were the taskmasters. Okay, so we have the taskmasters here. And these are the lesser rulers that uh, Paul speaks of in the order of, of Satan, the god of this world, principalities. Now we come to the taskmasters who represent powers and wicked spirits. Taskmasters. And, and Satan's host cert certainly uh, are a bunch of taskmasters, oppressing, keeping people in bondage, a thousand and one bondages. Number four in this uh, motif we have here, M-O-T-I-F-F, -F, uh, this picture, uh, we have Egypt, and Egypt represents the world system. World system. In fact, it's a very significant thing that Egypt is spoken of as the house of bondage. So Egypt, the house of bondage, the world system, and the land of darkness. In fact, Ham and Egypt means darkness. So it speaks of... Uh, there's too much to write on the board here, but Egypt speaks of the world system, the kingdom of darkness, the house of bondage, the whole world system. Number five, we have the burdens, and this is a word we're going to be picking up a little while here, uh, when we begin on the seven I will. So the burdens represent works, works, and it includes two aspects of works, works of the flesh, and also religious works, dead works. So we have works of the flesh performed by the unregenerate and religious or dead works that have to be repented of by religious people who are unregenerate, religious but unregenerate. So burdens. And then number six, of course, the bondage that we have in picture here because God is giving here, and remember as Paul says in Corinthians, all these things happen unto them for types and examples for us. They're written for our admonition. So in this whole overall picture from Exodus 1 through to chapter 12, chapter 13 begins the next step. But 1 through to 12 we have this whole picture of a plan of redemption. That all these things happen unto them for types and examples for us written for our admonition. So the bondage here is typical of slavery to sin. Slavery to sin... Uh, in Satan's kingdom. And what a bondage sin is. Slavery to sin and, and Satan's kingdom. And of course, number seven, which is pretty clear, Moses is a type of Christ who is the Savior and Deliverer. Put that there. The type of Christ who is the Savior and Deliverer, equipped with the name I Am, and ministry of signs and wonders, and he is the one that preaches the gospel to them. That was the gospel to them. 
the gospel of the Lamb. And it's most significant in the book of Revelation that those who come out of great tribulation sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And when Israel came out of Egypt, in chapter 13, 14, 15, they sing the song of Moses and the Passover Lamb. So all these things happen under them for types and examples. So we just in this whole thing have a fantastic pic picture of the whole plan of redemption. Pharaoh, typical of Satan, the god of this world system. Uh, the Egyptian rulers, typical of principalities, just running through your fill in here. Uh, taskmasters, typical of powers, wicked spirits, rulers of the darkness. Egypt, typical of the world system, the land of darkness, the house of bondage. And uh, number five, burdens, typical of works, works of the flesh, religious dead works, both by the unregenerate. And six, bondage, typical of slavery to sin and Satan's kingdom. And seven, uh, Moses, a type of Christ, the Savior and Deliverer, the preacher of the gospel with the name I am in him and uh, signs and wonders as he declares the gospel of the Lamb. How many think that's a fantastic picture of God's plan of redemption? All right, now let's go back to uh, uh, page uh, five. Now, if you've got your Bibles open again, I, I want to uh, go back to that chapter 6 here as we just look at uh, something here. Let's go back, uh, actually, to the last couple of verses uh, of, of chapter 5, chapter 5, leading into chapter 6. Now, let's think what has happened here. So, we're going back to chapter 5. Exodus chapter 1 and 2, Egypt are in bondage, they're in slavery, they're under Pharaoh, Satan, they're under principalities, powers, wicked spirits, hard taskmasters, the world system, house of bondage, they're under heavy burdens in bondage, and now Moses has come with the gospel of deliverance, gospel of salvation, and uh, things are just getting worse. Ever since he's preached the gospel to them, things have got worse. And so Moses has a little gripe here, and so in Exodus chapter 5, um, uh, we'll pick up in verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore have you so evil entreated this people? Why is it that you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, referring back to what happened in the burning bush and the revelation, he's saying, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done evil to this people. Things have actually got worse. Ever since I received the revelation of the name, things have got worse. And you haven't delivered the people. Been a revelation of your name, but no demonstration of your name. That's what he's complaining about. Neither have you delivered, this, uh, delivered your people at all. Now our chapter 6, which, which was not in the book when Moses wrote it. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now... Okay, I gave you the revelation of my name in chapter 3, chapter 4 and 5. I've sent you down to Pharaoh and the magicians and all that there and they're not willing to listen. And I know nothing seems to have happened and things seem to have got worse for my people. How many know that God often lets things get worse before they get better? So he says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go and with a strong hand, he'll drive them out. We're happy to see them go. Now, in verse 2, And God spake to Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Now, 
just go to the top of your notes here uh, while we make a comment about this. And we'd like to spend a whole night on this, but we need to keep moving. All right, up the top of our page here, number six, the name to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by his name, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, he, was he not known to them? Now, you'll notice that this name, it's what, um, I don't want to get too complicated here, uh, but we have two groupings of divine names. We have what is called the Eloistic, Eal, the Eloistic, the Elohim, a group of names, compound names, which have to do with creation. I can just, just say this without getting too complicated here. Uh, in, the, in the groupings of divine names, compound names, particularly as we see in the Old Testament, we have the first grouping, which are combinations of Al, Elohim, and so forth, uh, what we're looking at now. And any of these, these compound names always have to do with creation. But then we come to what we're headed for, is the combinations of Lord, and these always have to do with redemption. So you'll find there's a whole group of uh, uh, compound names relative to creation. They always begin with L, whole list of them. But we're looking at the redemptive name. Then we have combinations of Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, so and so and so, the Lord, and they have to do redemption. So creation and redemption are in these two streams of divine compound names. All right? So uh, when we look at God Almighty, which is Al Shaddai, a song we sing somewhere, it's used actually 48 times in the Old Testament. In Genesis, it appears six times at least, and in Job, it appears 31 times. So here we have a combination, one of the uh, creator names, creatorship names, Al meaning God, and Shaddai, meaning almighty or all-powerful. The Latin Vulgate uh, says omnipotence or omnipotence, uh, omnipotence, God Almighty. So Al Shaddai, let's just go to one of these scriptures. I've put enough scriptures there and I hope that uh, you will read these scriptures yourself between now and the millennium. Should give you time. Okay, because we have to skip so much in our limited time here. All right, Genesis chapter 17 but just to take one example of, of this uh, name. So God is saying to Moses, by my name, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, I was not known. I'll explain that a bit more fully in a moment. But by my name, God Almighty, El Shaddai. <clears throat> All right, Genesis chapter 17. And uh, we'll just pick up in uh, verses 1 through to 3. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, anybody that old here tonight? <clears throat> There's hope for you. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham as he was then, and he said, I am the Almighty God, or I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be perfect, or literally be upright and sincere. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Oh, little tangents we could get on here. Multiply thee. It'd be great to have a lot of Abrahams around father images, wouldn't it? And Abraham fell on his face. Interesting, he didn't fall backwards. Nobody was there to catch him, so he fell on his face. Smile, on candid camera. 
and God, and God talked with him. All right. <clears throat> so God is saying to Abraham, I am El Shaddai. And as we've got on your notes there, El Shaddai, the very uh, meaning of this is God all-sufficient. So it's God almighty, God all-powerful, God omnipotent, God all-sufficient, God's self-existence, or other, other, um, thought, uh, other writers bring out the thought that the God who is enough, is your God enough? And the thought of that is that God is enough in himself. He has everything and needs nothing. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He's all-sufficient. But he's not only the God who is enough in himself. He's the God who is enough for his own, for all that we have. In him, in anything and everything, he is more than enough for every need. And so when, when uh, Abraham's 99 years of age and the Lord appears to him and he says... I am our shadow. What's he saying? Abraham, you're 99 years young. You still haven't had that baby that I've been telling you about. She's getting older like a wrinkled prune. He does beautify her. Divine style. <laughs> and Abraham's 99 years of age. And it's like God says, Okay, Abraham, you're Abraham. You're 99 years old. You're just one short of 100. <laughs> But I am El Shaddai. I am more than enough. I'm the God who is enough. I'm God all-sufficient. No matter how old you feel and helpless and hopeless and you've had, been hanging on to promises for years and you look at Sarah and you look at yourself in the mirror and it cracks, I am the God who is enough. Walk before me and be perfect. Well, that's impossible. Well, it's not. If you walk before me, then the God who is enough will enable you to walk. And I do like the Hebrew thought, uh, meaning of the word there. It's walk before me and be upright or be sincere. It has to do with sincerity, integrity of heart. And I think that's a tremendous thing, isn't it? Walking before our Shaddai, the God who is enough. And if we can just uh, uh, you know, apply this in our own situations, God... I might feel 99 years old and hopeless and helpless, but you're El Shaddai. You're the God who is enough. You're the God all-sufficient. And because of that, I can walk before you and be sincere. Hallelujah. Can you say hallelujah? All right, so you'll find that that name and the significance of it was revealed to Isaac, which I put down the scriptures there, and to Jacob, uh, also in those scriptures there. So it's always in the context of covenant and it always involves the conditions of faith and obedience. All right, now we want to go to number seven here on our notes, the redemptive covenant name. Now I just want, I want you to go back to Exodus 6 again and just want to explain one word here that uh, King James uh, doesn't quite interpret for us. So Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3 again, I want to read. So God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, the three fathers. He's the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, by the name of El Shaddai, but by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. And the thought is that God was not fully understood or fully comprehended in that name. Now, it's not that the name 
of the Lord is not mentioned in the book of Genesis, for it is. In fact, we may just throw this in as a sideline. It's very significant that in Genesis chapter 1, the, the name Lord is never used once in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it's Elohim. In the beginning, God. has to do with creation. That's what Genesis 1 is about. But when you get to Genesis 2, which in, that by implication, as we see later on, is going to involve redemption, we have Lord God. So creation in Genesis 1, redemption is in mind in Genesis 2. All right, so it's not that the name Lord is not mentioned in the book of Genesis, and even, even Abraham, as we'll pick up on another session, uh, when the Lord revealed himself on Mount Moriah, he, he called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So there was redemptive name there. So when he's saying, by my name Jehovah, was I not known? He's not saying, well, they didn't know anything about it. They did. But what he's saying is, they did not fully understand or comprehend everything or they did not see the demonstration fully of this redemptive name. That's what he's saying. But you're going to see it now. All right, so now uh, in, in, uh, in verse 4, he reminds them of covenant. And reading off your notes here, verse 2 and 3, he begins these seven I wills, which we want to look at now. He begins these seven wills and finishes off with this, um, this uh, insignia, we might say. In verse 2, he says, I am the Lord. And in verse 8, he closes the seven I wills. So the seven I wills of the Lord begin and end with, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am Yahweh. Redemptive name. So it begins and uh, finishes with that, the redemptive uh, covenant name. In verse 4, and five, he, he uh, reminds Moses of his covenant, and I have. You'll notice the, the emphasis on I have in verse four and five. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So we have three emphases on I have, I have, I have, I have established, I have heard, I have remembered my covenant. How many appreciate that God is a covenant-keeping God? All right, now let's go down to verses 6 through to 8, and uh, I want you to uh, put your fill-ins on the seven I wills of the God of covenant. Uh, if you haven't marked these in your Bible, I suggest that you do. I'm going to read them first and then... Uh, uh, spell them out a little bit and comment on them briefly. All right, in verse 6, I'll just emphasize, I will, I will, I will. The seven I wills, uh, which are going to be the demonstration. Now, I play on those two words here. In Exodus chapter 3, we have the revelation of the redemptive name. In Exodus chapter 6, we have the seven I wills. They're going to demonstrate the power of the name. And then in Exodus 7 through to 12, there's the demonstration. So we have revelation of the name, then demonstration of the name, but it's, it's preceded by the seven I wills. So I'll just emphasize the I will so that if you haven't, I've, I've circled them all and connected them with a line in my Bible. So let me just emphasize that. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will 
rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm of grace. And I will take you to me for a peace. And I will be to you a God. Verse 8, and I will bring you into the land. And the last part, and I will give it to you for an heritage. How many knows that when God says, I will, I will, that he will do it? Now, the, the significance of this thing here is, uh, as I've got on your, on your notes there, on the, on the number 7 and verses 6 and 8, the seven I wills of the God of covenant, it's the will of God. And when God says he's going to do these seven things, I will, I will, I will, it's not only the will of God, it's the grace of God. Can anybody tell me what Israel could do to get themselves out of bondage? Absolutely nothing. Were there any works that they could do? Nothing. So what were they thrown upon? They were thrown upon the grace of God. The absolute grace of God. There is no self-will or self-effort that they could... Now, if we just exercise our self-will, then we can get out of bondage. If we, if we can just work hard enough, if we could just connive something, there was nothing they could do. They were helpless and hopeless. They had to depend upon God's grace, which is expressed in the seven I wills. And you know, it's such a picture of mankind outside of Christ. How many know? I mean, we mightn't realize it, but how many do realize more the more you go on in God how helpless and hopeless we are apart from the grace of God. And that with all our self-will and self-effort and works, what can we really do? We can't even lift ourselves up by the bootlace. I remember a little illustration I heard many years ago. This guy was out there in the sea and the, uh, the, the drowning and he's singing out for help. So finally uh, a lifesaver uh, swum out there to rescue him and the guy was just struggling and so he just socked him one right here and knocked him out to it. And when he was brought to the shore, someone said, well, why did you do that? You knocked the guy cold. You could have killed him. He said, look, as long as he was struggling to save himself, I couldn't save him. And sometimes God has to give us all a KO. <laughs> right? As long as we're struggling with self-will and self-effort, we'll get drowned. we drown others. So sometimes God gives us a spiritual KO. How many have ever had that? I put up hands and legs. God gives me a knockout now and then. So it sort of makes you dependent upon him. Number one, the first I will, and as I said, all these things happen under them for types and examples, so as we say the natural pertaining to them, think of the spiritual. And as, as I've said, I don't want this just to be a Bible study where it's information to the head but not formation of character, uh, let's apply it practically. So the first I will is, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Emphasis on burdens. I will say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens Now think of the burdens people bear. 
you look at Exodus chapter 1, this is on your notes here by the way, Exodus 1, 11, and you'll note through several references I've put there the emphasis on burdens, Exodus 1 and verse 11. Uh, Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. Chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Chapter 5 and verse 4 and 5. This is all in your notes here, the references. The king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you to your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And so the first key thing we have here is burdens. And God says, I'm going to bring you out from under your burdens. Cast your burden on the Lord. Huh? And I'll put two New, Re- New Testament references where Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, you put burdens upon the people that are not, they are not able to bear. And how many people have burdens? Probably there's people here tonight that are just burdened. Could you receive the promise, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians? Greatest burden, of course, is the burden of sin. Number two, the second I will, and dare we believe God's I will, because they couldn't get rid of their own burdens. Sometimes we have burdens that are too heavy, we can't handle say. God, lift this burden off me. Now, I'm not talking about a burden of intercession or something like that. I'm talking about burdens that are contrary to Scripture. Number two, the second I will, he says, I will rid you of their bondage. Now, the key, the key thing there is bondage. I will bring you out from under the burdens. Key word there is burdens. The burdens of the Egyptians and... Uh, Pharaoh, rulers, the taskmasters lay burdens on them continually for years. And how Satan and principalities and powers and wicked spirits just lay burdens on people. They need to come under the promise of God and say, God, bring bring them out from under the burdens. And here the second emphasis is on the word bondage. I will rid you of their bondage. And uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And it came to pass, the reference is on your notes there, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the, the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage, of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And uh, uh, go to Exodus chapter 20, which is on your note there. And this is an interesting expression we've already referred to, but notice what God refers to Egypt as. Exodus 20 and verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So Egypt was the house of bondage. And boy, what a bondage it is to serve Satan. House of bondage, burdens and bondage. And you know there's so many people that are under burdens and in bondage. Slavery is actually bondage, slavery. And then I put a couple of New Testament references there about uh, 
Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, the bondage of the law, the bondage of ceremonialism. We have not received the spirit of bondage. So God says, I'm going to rid you. I will rid you of their bondage. Number three, the third I will is, he says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. I will redeem you in the key thought here is redemption. And notice the key word in each of these I wills. I will bring you out from the burdens, so burdens. Number two, I will rid you of their bondage. Key word there is bondage. Number three, the third key word here is redemption. I will redeem you with our stretched out arm. It's uh, very interesting as you turn over to Exodus chapter 8 here. This redemption was ultimately going to be through the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 8 uh, has a very interesting thought here. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 23. And this word is only used a couple of times, as I understand, in the, uh, in the Hebrew thought. Uh, Strong's Concordance, uh, Exodus chapter 8, verse 23. And the Lord says when he's going to put flies there uh, on the whole land of Egypt, he says, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. And those of you who have the King James uh, marginal reference there, the word division, and it's true in Strong's Concordance, I had to check it out because the thought was so good to miss. It's actually, I will put a redemption between my people and thy people. So the, the, the double thought that, that is there, I will put a division or I will put a redemption. And it's redemption that brings division. The division between the saved and the unsaved. The lost and the saved. I will put a division between my people and thy people. I will put a redemption. And uh, Galatians chapter 3 says, Christ has redeemed us. Could we redeem ourselves? No. So I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. And God stretched out his arm and redeemed them. So the thought there is redemption. Number four, the fourth I will is, and this is so beautiful, and there are so many references to this, I can only make a couple of uh, statements on this. I will take you to me for people. Now I've put down one, two, three, four, five, six, at least seven references and I'll connect it up with the next one and then make the comment. So number four, the fourth I will is I will take you to me for people. Now I hope I'm communicating what I think I see here. The name I am that I am revealed here now becomes the Lord and uh, the revelation of the name. Now he's sort of enunciating, okay, this is what my name really means. It involves everything that Kevin Connor said last week, uh, you know, uh, omnipresence and self-sufficiency and eternity of being and everything like that. But this is what my name really means when, it's, when it comes into operation, demonstration. I will pull you out from the burdens. I'll redeem you. I'll rid you out of bondage. I'll take you to, my, uh, to myself. I will be to you a God. This is what it really is. And then this is what the rest of the book's about. And so number... Four is, I will take you to me for people. And number five, I will be to you a God. How many think they are just absolutely fantastic promises? This is what is involved in the redemptive covenant name. I will be to you a God. And I've put down 
There are several references there which are very similar, and I can only make a statement on this, and that is this, that this promise, I will, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, it involves the thought of covenant marriage relationship. I was a husband to them, married to them. I will take you to me for people. And I, it's like me saying to Joyce, I will take you to me. Will you take this woman to be your awful, uh, no, lawful wedded wife? Oh boy, <laughs> just go to watch this. Uh, will you take her to be your lawful? Yeah, I take you to me uh, to be my wife. And I will be to you the best and most fantastic husband. Hallelujah. Did you say amen, Joyce? Eh? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so that's the thought, relationship. And it's the highest promise, the second highest promise, I should say, of the Abrahamic covenant, but it's the highest promise of the new covenant where God takes to us to himself for people and he is to us a God. Now number six, just two more before we finish. The sixth I will, I will bring you into the land concerning which I swear to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I'll put a whole stack of scriptures there. I will bring you into the land. So he takes us out that he might bring us in. The wilderness was never God's will. Oh, I know he blessed him. He blessed him to death. But it was never his will. He wanted to bring them out of Egypt into the land. The wilderness was just transition. They just postponed their uh, journey in the wilderness because of unbelief. But God says, I'll bring you into the land. And I'll put a stack of promises there, a whole bunch of them, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Israel. For the church, God's land of promise is found in Romans 4 and Romans 8. And then the last I will, number 7, I will give it to you. I'll bring you in and I'll give it to you for a heritage or a possession. And all this is found in the book of Joshua, the book of... Uh, inheritance. And the New Testament speaks about our inheritance that's in Christ. Let's go over to page six as we bring our study to a close here. Down the bottom, in the seven I wills of the Lord, we have relief from burdens, release from bondage, redemption from sin, relationship with God, reconciliation with God, Realization of promise and rest of victory. How many appreciate the seven I wills of Jehovah or Yahweh, the seven I wills of the redemptive name? And as I said, don't take it just as a Bible study, but say, Lord, thank you for bringing us out from the burdens and from the bondage and redemption. We are your people, you are our God, you will bring us into the land. And you'll give it to us for an inheritance. All of the grace of God, all the will of God, there was nothing that they could do but trust him. Let's uh, stand. Father, we just thank you for the privilege again of just sharing together in your magnificent word. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation of your name and we thank you for the demonstration of your name in each of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you bring us out from the burdens of the Egyptians and from the bondages 
that enslave people. We thank you for redemption. We thank you, Lord, that you've taken us to be your people and that you are our God and that you bring us in the land and you give us an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Father, we just pray that the, these seven I wills that are entirely of your grace because you saw us helpless and hopeless when we could do nothing through self-will or self-effort, but just trust you that you came in grace and did this for Israel and you do it for us. Pray that this will become more meaningful to us as we contemplate the redemptive name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.